I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. This week, I have my brother back on the podcast as we talk about the AFC and NFC Conference Championship games, um, our Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers are heading to the Super Bowl. So me and my brother break down both of those games and we talk about a couple various uh, different topics surrounding the league um, Aaron Hernandez documentary. Uh, where are Philip Rivers and where's Philip Rivers going? Eli Manning just retired today. So uh, a lot of different things going on in the NFL, um, regardless of just games on the news or just games um, being played on the field and we hold off on the preview podcast. Normally, that's like the second half of our podcast, but we're going to blow it out for next week and have an hour or so long preview podcast just for the Super Bowl. So we'll be getting super in-depth um, in terms of who we're choosing and who we're picking. So no Super Bowl predictions yet um, on this podcast. So you'll have to wait for next week's podcast. But um, can't ha- can't wait to have you listen to this podcast um, with Michael. So let's give my brother a call. Hello. Hey, Mike. Welcome back onto the podcast. Thanks for coming back on. And uh, yeah, we're recording on late on Wednesday night into Thursday morning on the East Coast. Mike, conference championship games happened. Um, Not really what we were expecting. I mean, I guess Vegas was kind of expecting two games that weren't going to be that close, and that's pretty much what we got with the seven-and-a-half-point lines uh, before the games in each game. And uh, both of the favorites ended up pulling it out here. Um, Kansas City beating Tennessee 35-24, and then San Francisco beating Green Bay 37-20. So, Mike, let's start off with the early game with Kansas City and Tennessee. And the game finished up 35-24, but the first half of the game was actually fairly exciting and kind of um, had a similar script to last week for Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, um, unfortunately, I, I think the games were kind of what we expected, actually. Like, I think we both had the Chiefs, and we – I think I you might have had Bay. the Packers. I had you might have had the Packers. Yep, I had Green Bay. That was my one freezing cold uh, uh, cold take. <laughs> um, yeah, but you never felt good about it. I remember you were texting great. me. You were texting me throughout the game. You were just like, man, like, I, I feel like the 49ers have this, like, in terms of advantages, like – the run defense for the Packers not very good. Um, and I would but, also like to point out from last week's pro- podcast that I did kind of list off on all the reasons why San Francisco probably should be the favorite and should win the game. And then my reason for going with the Packers, which I still think might be a valid reason. And maybe we could kind of get into it with uh, Green talking about the San Francisco Green Bay game was that, maybe Aaron Rodgers is not what we thought he was. So let's get into Kansas City, Tennessee. Um, Mike, thoughts on the game? Uh, first half, you were kind of talking about what what it was, what your thoughts were. Yeah, I think in the first half of the game, like you were saying, it, it was pretty exciting, right? Like Tennessee was getting the kind of the game script that they had wanted, Right, they kind of jumped up to an early lead after the first quarter, and uh, midway into the second quarter, Tennessee was able to keep running the ball. They were able to, honestly, they looked good. And what we were kind of worried about, if I were Tennessee, was if the Kansas City were able to end the half up, and that's exactly what happened. Mahomes just came out like. You know, he had a few plays, especially that run where he got the 20, you know, 25-yard scramble and touchdown. Um, that really got the crowd pumped up. 
And, and basically for the Titans to be down at half was just like kind of a death sentence because, you know, if the Titans were able to maintain that lead 17, you know, 17, 14, um, going into the second half, I think it would have made Kansas City feel a little bit more uneasy. But the fact that they were down after that first half, um, you know, it, it just made it seem like, you know, Ryan Tannehill is going to have to make plays. They can't, they can't just run the game clock with Derrick Henry. So I kind of felt like after that first half where Kansas City was up that um, – you know, I just felt very confident about the Kansas City winning the game overall after that. Yeah, I think we were texting back and forth even before. So, like, before halftime, and I think Kansas City, I believe, got the ball with, like, two minutes left on the clock. And basically, we were kind of texting back and forth and saying, if Tennessee could stop them here, then I think it's a game. And if, and then if even though if Kansas City scores and goes up only by four points, we pretty much felt fairly comfortable with Kansas City kind of uh, going away um, mm-hmm. in the second half and kind of pulling ahead. And that's pretty much what happened. And that run by Mahomes, and I thought... and I thought it was going to get stripped, actually. Right, right. Well, I thought, like, Mahomes and that run um, and his running ability to evade the pocket and get at, or get out of the pocket and evade pressure was really an important X factor in this game. And I'm curious to see how that plays out in the Super Bowl um, against San Francisco and whether or not, like, what types of coverages they decide to play um, against this team and the idea of, like, having this quarterback spy um, to kind of see uh, keep Mahomes in check is going to be something that I think is going to be a really interesting matchup um, in the Super Bowl. But Mahomes looked incredible on that run, and I was going crazy when he like started tiptoeing the sidelines, ended up like bowling over a guy, and then uh, basically diving into the end zone. It was just like an incredible run, something that you would kind of expect Lamar Jackson to do. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he ended up leading uh, his team in rushing yards, eight carries for 53 yards and a touchdown. And honestly, Mahomes' whole playoffs has just looked like they, they just can't stop him. No team has been able to stop him yet. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting, like, it kind of takes this Kansas City offense a little bit of time to get going. And it's mm. like the the two games that they played in the playoffs, they found themselves down um early on in the in the game and then the offense suddenly starts to click like even today there were a couple like early plays during in the in their offensive game where there's just like some drops some like failed execution um mm-hmm. that happened to more magnified level during that Houston game but it really seems like they kind of get out of the gates really slow and then they start to pick it up um, starting in that in the second quarters for them. Um, so I think for them, it's going to be really interesting how they come straight out of the gate um, early on um, in the Super Bowl. And like, if there are any bets, like after the first quarter, like who'd be leading, it would be really interesting to kind of have San Francisco, um, mm-hmm. like betting that San Francisco line and being able to see what ends up happening there. Um I guess, like, another thing that I found fascinating was uh, Derrick Henry. Um, He was kind of, like, the story of the playoffs for the Titans, and he ended up only getting, like, 19 touches is a lot of touches, granted, um, for a running back. But he, I think we were expecting 25 to 30 touches, and maybe because they kind of got out of the game script um, late in the second half, they felt like they needed to throw the ball. But even early on, you kind of saw some of the some of the game plan, offensive game plan um, by Mike Vrabel and his staff in terms of kind of catching Kansas City off guard, use, utilizing a lot of play action pass. Um, and I think uh, Tony Romo, Jim Nance was kind. They were kind of iterating throughout like uh, the game how 
they would use the play action pass to suck up the the Kansas City run defenders and basically pass right over them because Kansas City was basically stock, stocking the box, stacking the box, um, and basically playing man coverage on the outside. So yep. it was just kind of like this idea of beating one on one coverage. Yep. Yeah, and Ryan Tannehill played a pretty good game too. Twenty-one thirty-one, two touchdowns. Like he looked pretty competent as well. But yeah, like the fact that Derrick Henry wasn't able to kind of control the game like he has been in the past, I just don't think that they were able to control the clock and keep Mahomes off the field as as long as they had wanted. Um, but they did have some impressive stretches. Like there was like that whole like in the whole second quarter they had like this eight minute stretch where. Um, they had the possession for the entire for, for like eight minutes or seven minutes, and that was kind of the game that they wanted to have. But it just you know it seemed like the game plan where they did stack the box, had man coverage for um, the wide receivers with one deep safety. Like it it uh, it 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 actually managed to stifle Henry a lot more than I thought it would. Um, which I thought right. was a little bit surprising. And you kind of mentioned that nine-minute drive, and then Kansas City goes right back down the field in about five plays in two minutes. Um, yep. The the following drive and scoring that touchdown, and then that final drive took a minute 40 for them in that first half. So it just kind of showed the quick and, – and this was a kind of pretty much what we talked about um, in our preview podcast for the championship conference championship games that Tennessee was going to try to play this ball control, really uh, run the ball, control it, keep Mahomes off the field. And we were just expecting the Chiefs to kind of have that quick score, um, which wasn't that big of a surprise. And then, like, even in the second half, like, I thought it was paramount for Tennessee to, to get Kansas City off the field after that first drive, and they did uh, mm-hmm. resulted in a punt, but they weren't able to do much um, with their drives um, in the second half at all, other yep. than that long touchdown drive. Once they once the game was effectively out of control in terms of it being thirty five seventeen and te- uh, Kansas City playing pretty much soft zone coverage, um, in my eyes. Um, so that's kind of, and that was helped by that fake punt by Brett Kern. So like, I I just felt like once Kansas City ended up going up thirty five seventeen early on in the fourth quarter, it seemed like the game was out of hand at that point. Yeah, I totally agree. And and to be honest, like, let's recap a little bit for the Titans. This is a they have far exceeded any kind of expectation that everyone had for them um, versus a starting playoffs. Like, for them to be playing the AFC Championship with Ryan Tannehill, it's have, you know, at the start of the season, they were playing Marcus Mariota. Like, to look back on this, this is a very successful season, I think, for the Titans. But against the Chiefs, like, we just, it, you know, the Chiefs are going to be a dynasty, in my opinion. Like, they have the AFC for the foreseeable future. And they were just a much more talented football team than right. the Tennessee Titans. And I think that's going to be the case anytime you have someone like pretty much as talented as Patrick Mahomes, probably the best quarterback in the NFL right now. Right. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's not much like, not much question there. But I guess in terms of like talking about Tennessee and as they go into their off season, like the big question is how much Ryan Tannehill is going to get paid um, next year, especially with Mariota kind of coming off the books. It looks like Mariota is not going to be with the team and they're going to choose uh, Tannehill instead. And then like what they give Derrick Henry and someone like, is Jack Conklin coming back in their their mm-hmm. offensive line? Because I thought they did their what they've done really well was building that offensive line and really utilizing the run game, the offensive line. Um, and I'm curious to see like how, what their decision making is going into um, that offseason. And shout out to Dennis Kelly, who who is that the tallest person to catch a touchdown. 
I believe, in the playoffs. So that was I think, I think it was heaviest. Or, or was it heaviest? Heaviest, yep. heaviest player. So that that was pretty cool to see, kind of uh, Mike Brabel kind of throwing it back to when he was getting touchdown uh, pass uh, catches um, in playoff games from Tom Brady back in his playing days with the Patriots. So that was kind of cool to see. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's really interesting uh, what their decision making is going to be because, like, my thing is like. Didn't they just prove that they can kind of win and get fairly far? And maybe, you you know, you could kind of call it for what it is. Like maybe they got lucky or they just this they kind of hit on this run game. But do they really want to commit twenty five million dollars to Ryan Tannehill? Like it's definitely going to be hard to not give it to him. Right. But like they they pretty much proved the formula for them this season was that if you get a competent backup that can play, and and this is not to say, like, you should constantly be rotating quarterbacks or anything, but in that if the guy is in the right system and he's, like, a competent quarterback, like, he can take a team fairly far. And I don't know if $25 million of Ryan Tannehill is worth, worth it at all. It's yeah, like and not yeah. It's like an interesting theory because like now they feel like they have a quarterback but they need to pay him. But they've proven that this theory this year ended up working with Ryan Tannehill getting, you know, pennies for what he was worth to this team this year. Yeah. I mean, I think Brian Tannehill is a pretty solid quarterback. Like he had twenty two touchdowns, six interceptions for the season. Um and he was able to make plays at pretty pivotal moments. Um, I would say, like, without Ryan Tannehill making, like, those key plays um, in the playoffs, I don't think the Tennessee Titans are able to beat the Patriots, to be very honest. So, I I mean, if I'm the Titans, like, what are my other options? Like, you kind of had mid-season switch. The Tennessee Titans were like a top-five offense um, with Tannehill at the end of the season. I think they went on like some like at the end of the season. I believe they went on a six-two run. Right. I think right. they were six and two. I believe. Or yeah, like I think so. Looking at it right now, um, so yeah, they they ended the season seven and three, right? In five and uh, five and two. Right. Mm-hmm. So they had a very strong end of season, and for me, if I'm the Titans, like to let that go when you're one game away from the AFC Championship, I might consider running it back. To be honest, yeah, like, I, you franchise you franchise tag Ryan Tannehill for the 25, 27, you know, however however much like in that range it's going to be. My one worry I would have would be on Derrick Henry. Right, like the market for all these running backs has been set at a pretty high price. You have Todd Gurley's uh, contract, Le'Veon Bell, you've had uh, Zeke's, and I just don't know if it makes sense to pay those running backs like fifteen million dollars per year. Right, I mean that that's probably the question. I think you bring up an interesting theory, um, and maybe I kind of want to push back on it a little bit in terms of them being that one game away and of course they are they are one game away but I think it's kind of important to parse out like playoff success and obviously playoff success matters a ton um in comparison to like really evaluating whether a team is that good um and I think that's where we kind of need to figure out and see whether or not this team is actually good enough to consistently make it to the top of the AFC. Just because they beat the Patriots and the the Ravens, you know, any team can get pretty hot in the playoffs. Like, that was evidenced by the Giants' Super Bowl runs um, earlier on in this decade um, or or last decade. So it's – I just kind of hesitate a little bit to kind of utilize that logic of – since we're one one team away or one game away from the Super Bowl, let's just run it back because I think there's still like 
a, a couple of different areas of this team that they need to improve on. Um, and they just like kind of, especially with Mahomes, they kind of showed like there was a lack of a pass rush, I believe. And mm, yeah, um, I agree. And just like a couple of different things like on the back end that they kind of need to fix a little bit. But if they really evaluate for what this team was, I mean, this team was nine and seven. You know what I mean? Like, that's where I think if a GM and an ownership group has that handle on reality, then they can really understand what it is that they need to do moving forward for this team instead of kind of making these rash rash decisions um, for the team in itself and their future. Um, So, Mike, let's move on to the NFC Championship game. Um, talking about the Packers and the 49ers. And, um, yeah, first half, I was just like 27 zip um, <laughs> for the San Francisco 49ers. Game over. Game over. Um, Packers actually, like, kind of showed something early, like, late on in the second half. Like, they ended garbage up. Garbage time, though. Garbage time. Um, and maybe San Francisco was playing soft zone coverage. Um, but, Green Bay ended up scoring on their first three possessions of the second quarter. Made it mildly interesting. Like, they're down two possessions, and then they just couldn't stop um, San Francisco at all To on that following drive after their third touchdown uh, drive of the half. And it was just like – it was just like the story of the game. They weren't able to stop the running game at all. Jimmy G ended up throwing the ball for a total of under 10 times for uh, that's crazy under 10 for 37 points insane and there were like none of those touchdowns were touchdowns off of like turnovers really or anything like that they were just all touchdown or basically all touchdowns um based off of, like, what the offense did, and I was super impressed by that. Yeah, I mean, this game was over by half. Um, I was uh, I was at, like, a dumpling-making party uh, where we were all watching this game, and um, by the second half, no one was even watching the game anymore because it was basically over after that. Like, n- everyone knows, like, you're not going to score 20 20- – once you're down 27 points against a 49ers defense, a defense of that caliber, you're just not going to come back. So even though the Green Bay Packers may have showed something, like soft zone coverage, um, Aaron Rodgers had that one nice deep throw to, uh, I believe, Davante Adams. But yep. besides that, it, it, it just like we all kind of knew this game was over. Um, and it kind of surprises me that I, I thought this game was going to be a little bit closer. Like the Green Bay Packers – you would think like 13, they're a 13 and 3 team, right? But actually looking at like how they play this game, like that is one of the softest and weakest 13 3 teams I've seen in a while. Like they did not, they just didn't look very impressive. Or maybe this 49ers defense just made them look bad. But like for, for you to score zero points in that first half, it's kind of, kind of embarrassing a little bit. Totally agree. And they couldn't get anything going um, offensively at all. Like, let me just read out their their drives in the first half. Punt, punt with five plays and 25 yards. Punt with five plays, four yards. Third drive was a punt, another punt, three and out. Fourth drive was a fumble after, like, a pretty nice drive that had go that they had going into San Francisco territory. And then an interception that led to uh, a touchdown. Um, so it just was not a very positive, um, positive, like first half for the Packers at all. And they weren't able to get anything going. And it's pretty incredible that if you look at the box score, Aaron Rodgers ended up with, uh, 326 yards, 31 for 39. So they were just, he just wasn't able to do well in the opportune times where, the the San Francisco team was just running all over this Green Bay defense, and Aaron Rodgers wasn't able to stop the bleeding um, for for the game and kind of like 
change the momentum of the game. It was just like, all right, they're dogpiling on us, and I guess this is how it's going to be. Like, what are your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers and kind of like that – there's like that whole storyline slash theory of Aaron Rodgers kind of losing it this year, even though maybe if you look at his numbers, they weren't necessarily terrible. Um, There is kind of like, I think that idea that he is a little bit, he's lost his fastball a little bit and he's moving on into the next stage of his career where he's not going to be able to carry a team to a Super Bowl. I, I'm i not quite sure if that's – what I was kind of surprised with, with for Aaron Rodgers is, like, throughout the whole season, there was no that kind of run-the-table mentality that he had a few years back. It just seemed like he was kind of chilling and happy to let Aaron Jones take the reins and for it to be a much more balanced offense. Whereas, it, like, he, he used to strike me as one of the, like, most – confident, almost borderline, like overconfident and cocky competitors out there. And it just seemed like this whole season, he he never really had that statement game. He, he, he just seems to be kind of in a different, yeah, like in a different mentality at this point. Um, but in terms of talent, like he, he still has the ability to make some of the nicest throws um, of any quarterback. He, for me, he's still like a top three talent besides, you know, Patrick Mahomes and maybe like a Russell Wilson. But, yeah, I, I'm i not quite sure how many more opportunities Aaron Rodgers will have at this because the NFC looked quite it, – it's just such a competitive conference that I'm not quite sure that they end up getting to the NFC championship uh, in future years. And it's not like this 49ers team is like – not like a dynasty or it's not like absolutely overwhelming. Like this should have been a game that the Packers had a realistic chance on. Yeah, I totally agree. And what I was really impressed with was like, just like run after run. I think they ran the ball kind of crazy one drive, like eight straight times, eight straight times. There was like some crazy stat that Jimmy G hadn't thrown a pass since like, the first quarter and they were in the second half or something like that. There's something, it was some crazy stat where I was just amazed at how little that he had thrown the ball and he only ended up throwing it eight times. But what I was so impressed by was like, kind of like what Tennessee had been doing to, to AFC opponents in the first two rounds of the playoffs. This San Francisco run game was so diverse and they were able to get like, so much yardage off of this team with um, Raheem Mostert and then Debo Samuel was able to kind of make some plays on end arounds and things like that and jet sweeps. So I was just so impressed with how Shanahan was dialing up like all these different uh, variety of running game um, right. and, and different sets that I was just so impressed by that. And right, but, right, right. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, at the same time, like, how much of this was bad coaching by Mike Pettin, who's a defensive coordinator for the Packers? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know, honestly. It's, it was just impressive to kind of see, like, San Francisco getting seven yards on first down, like, every first – like, every play. It was just, like, they could run the ball anytime they wanted to. Um, I'm not sure what Pettin could have really done, like – I guess he could have really stacked the box, and he, he was doing that. No, he. I. I don't think he was stacking the box as much. At least in that first half, they did not stack mm-hmm. the box. They were playing like cover two. Which, right, that's true. Which didn't quite make sense to me. Like they didn't really make Jimmy G throughout the game um, have to make any throws, and by that point in the first half, like you have to kind of adjust and for Jimmy G like to not have to make any throws throughout the game. It it just like kind of astounded me Um, because I, I I think that the Packers really had to adjust a little bit. Like that game plan worked exactly like what the 49ers wanted. 
Um, but you really, like, no one's really tested the 49ers and Jimmy G's ability to make those kind of those throws in, like, these high-pressure situations. So, you know, once the 49ers were already up 14-0, at that point, it just, you know, they could just keep running the ball um, down their throats. Yeah, and Mostert, if you guys had him in daily fantasy, he might have won uh, your daily fantasy leagues for you because he had 220 yards for four touchdowns. So there you go right there. For re- could, could you imagine having that for a fantasy week, just having yeah. Mostert put up those numbers? I guess one concern for them moving forward is Kevin Coleman ended up hurting his elbow slash shoulder, I believe. Um, yeah, I think he, I think I think he dislocated, shoulder. dislocated shoulder. Um, you know, Kyle Shanahan, I think in press conferences has set, stated um, post game that they do um, think it's an injury that Coleman can come back from and play in the Super Bowl in uh, two weeks' time. So we'll kind of monitor that situation and see how that factors into. Um, the Super Bowl matchup, but I was just so impressed by Moster. And then um, if Coleman's not able to play, Breed is going to be stepping in for him. But I was just yep. so impressed with Moster and like how well he was running the ball. Like this was a guy that any team in the NFL could have had. Yeah. Like he's, I believe 27, 28. He's been on like six teams. Um, in his career, kind of this journeyman guy, and now he's um, running the ball like this in the NFC Championship game. And I think that's more of a testament to um, Kyle Shanahan's offense and the diverse run uh, zone run blocking scheme that he's able to run, uh, similar to what his dad was able to, to do back in the 90s with Terrell Davis um, and the Broncos. Right. Yeah, I mean, Raheem Oster has had a great season. He's averaging 5.6 yards per carry, which is um, second in the whole league for average yards per carry. So that's he's had a fantastic season. Um, but I do agree with you that Kevin Coleman injury will be quite important. Just the fact that having, like, you know, 15 carries for each of those running backs and keeping them fresh, um, like, it, it, it'll be quite important against the Chiefs defense, but what I'm going to be really excited to see is, like, Jimmy G was not tested in this game. He, re- he only threw eight times, 77 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, um, but it, it, it's still yet to be seen how much, like, how much he can do in this high-pressure situation, so uh, we'll talk about it in the preview next week, but I bet Andy Reid is going to make Jimmy G make some plays for sure. Yep, and the, and speaking of Andy Reid, there's some funny, like, the quotes, like, after, like, he ended up, like, people were like, oh, how'd you end up celebrating the AFC Championship game? Burger, falling asleep. <laughs> so, uh, seems like he had, he had a good celebration there. Um, but, yeah, to our listeners, we're actually going to be splitting this podcast up. Uh, we're not we're not going to do the traditional preview later on in the podcast for the Super Bowl because we feel like, as a Super Bowl, it deserves its own uh, preview podcast. So we'll go really, really hard and in-depth um, during, during that preview podcast. And I can't believe we've we, – like the NFL season's almost over – um, one game, one meaningful game left. I don't know who's going to be tuning into the Pro Bowl uh, to watch uh, any of those uh, shenanigans go on, especially with like dodgeball and all that stuff uh, that's been happening over the past couple of years. Um, Mike, a couple of quick hitters in the NFL. Um, obviously, I, I guess breaking news today, Eli Manning ended up retiring or deciding to retire after 16 seasons in the NFL, all with the New York Giants. Mike, what do you think his legacy kind of says about him? And is he a future Hall of Fame quarterback? Because I think there's a lot of debate whether or not he is or not. He's in or not. Yeah. And, uh, 
you have to respect what Eli has done. Like two Super Bowls against, honestly, two dyna- dynastic teams, um, especially that 2007 Patriots team. For me, Eli Manning, as much as it pains me to say this, he does deserve to go to the Hall of Fame. Like, there's no kind of more iconic Super Bowl for me over the past 20 years in that 2007 uh, victory over the Patriots with, honestly, some of the most unbelievable plays. And Eli Manning uh, had a great game for that. So for that alone and, you know, him leading the team to two Super Bowl wins, I wouldn't say he led the team. The defenses were amazing for those two years. Um, Agreed. Four-time Pro Bowler, um, franchise leader in completion, pass yards and touchdown passes. Um, you know, <laughs> there's a joke that he actually managed to finish the season once, like, 500. So he had 117 wins, 117 losses, uh, historical. So for me, you know, he, he, he is a Hall of Fame um, quarterback. Yeah, I mean, helmet catch, like, Need I say too many moments? Yeah, Yeah, just like some crazy moments um, during that run that he had. I mean, and it started pretty tumultuously. Uh, Pretty funny how he and Philip Rivers ended up getting traded for each other um, in that draft. I think I believe it was a '04 draft um, where he ended up getting traded from San Diego to the Giants um, and ended up spending his entire career with the Giants. Mike, mm-hmm. also, uh, Philip Rivers, like, he ends up permanently moving out of San Diego to Florida. So there's a lot of rumors now that he's going to be uh, moving on from the L.A. Chargers and kind of maybe there's a lot of rumors going on that since he's in Florida, maybe some of the Jaguar, Florida teams, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay especially, um, to see whether or not he's able um, to move on from there. So I wonder, what are your thoughts on that? And like, what the, what, where like his best, um, best team possibility would be? I mean, I I just don't know how much of an upgrade Philip Rivers would be over James, to be very honest. Like, that last season with the Chargers wasn't that inspiring. It's not like he didn't have playmakers in Keenan Allen, like Williams. He had a run team. Like, he had Austin Eckler um, for the outlet and wheel routes. Like, it just – I'm not quite sure what level he could take another team to unless they had a real problem with quarterback. And the Florida teams, at least, in terms of you know, Jacksonville, I think Gardner mentioned – like – why would you give up on Gardner Minshew or even Nick Foles um, to bring in Philip Rivers? That team's not good enough to make a serious run, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. For Tampa Bay, I think that that could be an intriguing bet. It's just like how much of a James Winston fan are you? And some people are huge fans. Some people are. He, he's a very divisive character. So um, I could see the rationale for maybe Tampa Bay. Um, and for the Dolphins, they were kind of feisty at the end, but they're totally in rebuild mode, which is not what Philip Rivers is seeking. So I think Tampa Bay would make the most sense overall. And it, it just kind of depends how you feel about Jameis. I, I think that it's not that big of an upgrade. So for me, I, I wouldn't even make that move. Uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. Um, another quick hitter, Mike. Um, Warren was issued for arrest for uh, Antonio Brown in a battery case. Um, I think it's kind of interesting to see and like follow what, like what's going on with him and like kind of some of the Twitter reaction that's following him. A lot of people are talking about CTE and like whether or not that's played a contributing factor to all this um, level of craziness. And it's kind of interesting. Like he wasn't really like, I, I don't remember him being so like this um, when he was in the Pittsburgh Steelers locker room. I mean, there were inklings of it with like him recording like um, the locker room, but like for most of his tenure, he was a fairly like 
humble player and I, I liked it, liked him during that time. And it's kind of changed and morphed into something completely different now. Yeah, I I, I just can't get a good sense of Antonio Brown at this point. Like it seems like he's really dealing with some serious um serious mental health issues or, or, or something at this point. Uh, I, it's it's kinda sad to see like how far he's come at this point. I just don't see many teams giving him the opportunity, even with the outstanding talent that he has. But at this point, it's it's yeah, it, it, it's just sad to see. It's sad yeah. to see. I, it, it's you. you think so talented? Do you, and he, do, right. Do you, do you think he gets a sh- another shot in the NFL? I think some team will take a flyer. Like one or two teams will probably take a flyer at this point if he says all the right things. But I just don't even know if he's willing to play ball. Like he's made his money. He, he doesn't seem to like even want to change, um, or he doesn't even seem to recognize the problem. So until that happens, probably not. But if he really wanted to play in the NFL again and said the right things, I do think that one or two teams would uh, would take a bet on that talent. Would be interesting to see. Mike, a couple more things, and then I'll let you go. Uh, I don't know if you heard about the Vegas uh, draft and how they're basically going to have a boat in the Bellagio ho- hotel uh, fountain um, basically take players during the NFL draft from the boat to like a floating stage in the Bellagio uh, fountain uh, so that they can uh, shake Commissioner Roger Goodell's hand. Kind of a ridiculous like idea. Uh, they're kind of like doing the NFL draft as like this traveling band. They did it in Nashville, I believe, last year, and then they had it in Chicago or Philadelphia. So they're kind of varying it up. It'll be really spectacle to see. I don't know if you saw some of the renderings on Twitter from like the official NFL account, but I just thought it was really funny. Yeah, I have uh, I've heard a little bit about it, and I'm looking at the mock-ups right now for that stage. It, it it's just kind of ridiculous. Um, I'm not Gar- sure if it's enough to get me to watch it either, though. Yeah, guarantee that the Jets pick um, at number eleven has uh, is going across in the boat, and 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 eventually it starts sinking. Um, just kind of like the fortunes of how the Jets. Um, have been over the past couple of years. It'll be a heavy boat. I'm, I'm sure we're going to draft a tackle or a guard here. Probably true. So maybe, hopefully that boat can support a little bit of extra weight. Um, Mike, last thing, and it's actually more on a serious note, Have were you able to catch any of the Aaron Hernandez doc that ended up I coming did. out? I did watch it. I, I actually watched it too. Um, I watched all three episodes incredibly riveting uh sat down uh last weekend and i was just like what just ended what just ended up happening um what were your general thoughts on it i'm kind of genuinely curious to hear what your thoughts were um on how the doc was made i mean it it was a great documentary overall um i i really didn't know that much about story so I, I found the story to be, it was just kind of incredible to see like how much he was able to get away with or like how little like he kind of how how little thought he put into some of the actions he was doing. But at the same time, like the documentary really kind of gave a lot of insight into why he would do those things. Like it it's still like it's still absolutely crazy that he would just you know, drive-by shoot at some people who might have spilled a drink at him at a club. But his past, like, the fact that, um, you know, when his father passed away, who was really close with his mom, ended up, like, getting together with a cousin's husband. That was insane to me. I found that, like, 
so crazy to me. Like it, yeah, for like a for a young kid growing up, like that must have absolutely messed with him. Um, and yeah, obviously there's the aspect of the CTE and um, you know some interesting parts about his sexuality. But for me, like just just the uh, kind of upbringing that he had, kind of was interesting insight into like the actions he ended up taking in in his life. And, um, and yeah, like on the CTE piece, kind of want to get your thoughts on that too, but I, I don't know the extent or like how much that kind of, um, you know, long-term effects of that kind of injury or disability, like, I, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, but it, it just seems like there's so many NFL players who might have that, that to kind of suggest that that was the reason for this versus like his extremely crazy childhood I thought was kind of a stretch yeah I mean I think he was struggling with a lot of other things like mental issues that contributed to um to him kind of taking these drastic measures and like I don't know it was like very for me it was like why I could not believe he was like dealing with like all this stuff like how are you hanging out with these like shady dudes and like shooting up like doing these drive-by shootings and then like basically taking like your future possibly brother-in-law and basically like shooting him it just it like to me was like incredibly wild for like the logic behind that it just didn't make sense at all um and for him to like direct it or carry it out I was just like flabbergasted that that with all the evidence that was kind of there especially with the Odin Lloyd thing I thought the documentary did a great job of outlining and displaying the timeline of everything um I just thought it was like I could not believe he was like hanging out with these people um at all um, especially with where he, his stature was at as a professional athlete. Now, get to get to your CTE question, my thing about this is, like, yes, maybe CTE kind of played a role about, like, him ha- exhibiting, like, these crazy behaviors, but it's not like all – NFL players like that have CTE like end up displaying behaviors to go shoot up like different people shoot at different people or want to kill different people like he's the only one to to have done that so it's like based on what he ended up doing and deciding to do and these series of bad decisions that put him in that position it's not like CTE forced him to shoot of shoot people so I just feel like while maybe there is like a connection there it's not like because he has CTE it led him on this path to do that um and I just felt like if people were making that argument then why are we even allowing people to ever play football again yeah totally agree like, yeah, so what's, me- the, what's the point what's the point of ever letting someone play football yeah, I, I mean, that's why I did think the CT argument was a little bit, um, a little bit of a stretch. But at the same time, like I would not want my children to play football either. And it, it really is a kind of more conflict where it's like it's such a entertaining sport to watch, but there are all these like negative side effects that are that are coming out. So um, yeah, I, I'm really curious to see what kind of continued health matters they end up putting in for football because at at this rate like it, it's just too violent of a game and I do think that they're improving on it like we're not seeing any more of those like excessively violent hits um at least that's what it seems like but there's still a lot of work that needs to get done there yeah it it definitely does put you in like this morally compromising situation of yeah, enjoying and consuming content or because like it's an ex- extremely exciting game to watch and it's so ingrained in American culture and the fabric of like 
the sports culture in America that it's so hard to let go of those ties. Um, and I just don't know how, like, how safe a sport where you're actually tackling people like that is going to be. Um, but you, it's like, I don't know, it's pretty rare to kind of hear of incidents of these things happening in places like hockey, lacrosse, rugby, and maybe because they're not as popular sports, but those are fairly violent sports as well um, in comparison to football. So I don't know. I'm not exactly sure where, what it really means, Um, but I guess it's because of the rising uh, spike in like suicides in um, NFL players, like with Dave Dewerson, um, someone like Junior Seau, they mentioned in the doc. Um, a lot of these football players that have kind of turned to that path. So it, it's, it's just like a very fascinating issue that I've been interested in a long time being an exercise science major back in undergraduate. So there, I definitely did a lot of like studying and reading up on um, a lot of those head injuries and concussions and how that can play a role um, in a child's life and how that um, can affect them uh, thereafter. But I think it's a little bit overblown for me to think, and by little, I think it's a lot overblown to think that is the, that's the sole reason or that's like a huge reason in Aaron Hernandez going down the path that he did. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, great documentary. Um, very interesting documentary. Very Definitely interesting. interesting. I highly encourage people to watch it. Not sponsored by Netflix at all, but go watch it. Um, it'll be really interesting to watch for a lot of viewers. And I think you'll get to hear and learn something new. So, Mike, thanks again for coming back onto the podcast. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be a really interesting Super Bowl uh, contrasting of styles and we will definitely break it down for the listeners next week on the preview podcast so thanks again Mike for coming back on to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan I got a girl with a mind on love the kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up And I'm addicted, I can't get enough